Listening to the Taming Hinges podcast, conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast, as always. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast, and I want to welcome you to episode number 40, in which we are going to talk about imagination. Imagination. We're going to talk about imagination today, and I'm going to try to be, you know, imaginative about it. Because I've been getting into what is spirituality, really. That's really what I've been focused on in the last, I don't know... Um, eight episodes or so really ever since episode 31, when I transferred, you know, we did a sequitur, we transferred over from simply focusing on self-awareness and mental health. I started opening up to the idea of what is spirituality, but not just spirituality in kind of modernized ideas. You know, when we talk about religions and those things, yeah, that's, that's all included, but spirituality as the other health body, you know, I've said this many times, but repetition is the mother of all skill. I believe that the idea behind self-awareness is that we have a good understanding of the three health bodies. Those three health bodies are made up of the physical form, this, uh, this, you know, meat suit, essentially, you're just kind of walking around and it meets these little crude, this organic fleshy coral reef, if you will, of just made up of organisms and bacteria and all of these different things trying to go about their lives, just living it out, doing what we tell them to do. We're the omnipotent presence over that. And the word we, the royal we here, is the consciousness or the mental health body. And that is ruled by our depression. And that's the realm of mental health. Then there's this other health body that we've talked about all through antiquity and we're, we're more getting into in modern day society known as spirituality or the spiritual health body, the other body. And what does that all entail? So just to kind of do a quick, you know, 30,000 foot overview before we get into imagination today, here's some of the things that I've discussed when it comes down to it is there are these primordials. And these primordials are a good place to look to give us an idea of what's actually going on when we're talking about spirituality. What other forces exist in the universe that have been here, continue to be here, that we might interact with, but to give them a a broader sense. And And the four of those that I've detailed are chaos, creation, order, and destruction. Chaos is not the chaos we commonly refer to as, oh, no, everything's in chaos, but instead chaos is infinite possibility. Chaos is the the realm of infinite possibilities. Anything's possible. Anything could happen, and it just kind of encapsulates everything. I believe it's the first thing. If you talk about, you know, what came first, chaos came first. Chaos is all of the primordial soup and all the infinite possibilities in the world. That's chaos. It's a great thing. We've given it a negative connotation over the years, but... 
I digress. Next up is creation. Creation is giving something a framework, giving it, you know, a, a system or just a defined set of things in which that is then created. It's to take all of that chaos, all that infinite possibility, and just kind of pick some pieces out of it and make a framework. From there, we have order. Order is filling the framework. It's, it's the balancings of the sides. It's, you know, the yin-yang idea of, okay, you know, there's two sides of the same coin. We've created the coin. We've given something framework, and then we're going to fill it with stuff. And that's, you know, that's order. And then we have destruction and destruction is not the destruction that we typically think of when, you know, something gets destroyed. It's the process of destruction or the, the, the primordial act of destruction, which is to return something back to chaos, a item that is finished. You know, if a master crafts person creates something and then they order it, it's then finished. Once they're done, that's a destruction process. They've destroyed the, beginning pieces of all the, you know, the, the whole process of making something and then it's made and that's a destruction cycle. That's something that is made is no longer its raw material. Those have been destroyed and created into or made into something amazing. And then it exists as that and it goes and it lives its life in the primordial chaos soup and can become something anew from there. I, the representation I use there is typically the, um, idea of anthracite or coal into a diamond. You know, the anthracite's destroyed. It's chemical bonds, you know, are just kind of realigned. It's framework essentially is ordered and we get a diamond, but the coal in our, in, in the idea of it all, the coal's destroyed. Coal's no longer there. It's now a diamond. And that diamond then goes to become chaos again and can become a ring or, or, a, a, you know, some faceted jewelry or, you know, used for a cutting implement in, you know, some sort of diamond plated cutting tool. doesn't matter. It just becomes infinite possibility again and off it goes. So after I talked about that, I, I talked about um, cycles and how that each one of those things has a cycle and those are the cycles that happen. Um, you know, you can have the cycle of chaos, it's like all of, but they're all together cyclical. As something is destroyed, it's added back to chaos. From there, I started to get a little bit more specific into what exactly is going on with the spiritual body itself. So we, we kind of gave a framework of there's this thing in chaos, creation, order, destruction, and it's a cyclical value. It's a, it has a cyclical nature to it. And there's big cycles and little cycles. But what are some of the things that we do to interact with that? Well, I believe those are the spiritual senses or the other health bodies senses. And just like our physical forms have these senses, I believe so too does the, the other health body have its senses. And in fact, some of the senses we feel in the physical form are attuned to or get triggered by that, that other health body. Um, you know, things like the tinglingness on the skin I talked about, or, you know, those, that kind of that vagus nervous system reaction, you know, might get the, the shivering down the spine or these, you know, some of the things we call instinctual. In fact, I talked about intuition and instinct. And last episode, I talked about insight and how all three of those things kind of give us a better understanding of what's going on as far as is the spiritual body have some sort of senses built into it? Are there senses that are involved with it that maybe we don't often think about? I think there is. And in fact, 
the process in which we go about understanding them is typically through our physical form. So they're a little bit mm, different. They're a little bit um, imaginative, if you will. And that's why I want to talk about imagination in this episode, because I think imagination is... Well, it's a simulation. I, I talked about that in really the last two episodes. I started talking about imagination in the instinct episode, and I really got into it a little bit in the insight episode. But let's break it out a little bit more. Let's break it out into a fuller idea. So we'll start with a, uh, a definition, as I always do. And the definition brought to you by Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, as always, is the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Now, I really like the top definition here. I, I think it's a really good standard to use when we talk about this in discussion format. I don't necessarily agree with some of the other definitions that are uh, um, applied here because I don't think I don't think creativity has anything to do with the, the act of imagination. Although I believe creativity to be a process of imagination, I don't think it's necessary. I don't, I don't think, I think it's something that comes from imagination. A, a very creative person can be very imaginative, but you don't need to necessarily have that description to be of someone who's imaginative. I think all human beings, or in fact, humanity as a whole, has this ability known as imagination. And it's very important because I believe it's the, the conversation point between the other health body and our physical health body. And this is all the realm of the mind. And I, the mind, as I've talked about in many, many different episodes, um, specifically when I talked about uh, self, body, mind, and other episodes 21 through 24, the mind's the translation point between our physical form and the other form, the spiritual health body, or just this, this world of other. And so this mental space that we often live in is ruled by our depression, and one of those factors is the action, or I would say is almost a principal nature of the mind, is to be imaginative, to simulate things. I, I really think that's what's happening here is simulation. I'll get into that a little bit later. But the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Some of the other definitions they get into are you know, creative ability, uh, ability to confront and deal with a problem, uh, the thinking or active mind, a creation of the mind, fanciful or empty assumption. Let's just stick top level here because, again, I don't think we need to be creative or really need to be. Maybe that one about uh, the thinking or active mind. That's or interest, as Miriam Webster uh, defines it. That's a pretty good, solid idea. But stepping aside here, because I often like to look at uh, synonyms, I, I want to bring up a couple synonyms before we go too far into the definition. And there's a, quite a few that I think are interesting that happen to be synonyms of imagination. There's creativity. We talked about that already. Uh, there's contrivance. There's ideation, invention, inventiveness, and also originality. And that one kind of struck me. So I want to jump to the definition of originality real quick because I'd like to come back to it as we, we wrap some things up here. And originality is defined as the quality or state of being original. Cool. That makes sense. Freshness, aspect, design, or style. Awesome. This last one. The power of independent thought or constructive imagination. This gives some connotation. And we all know that I don't like connotation. But the connotation I give, that it's given here is broad enough that I think it's, it's 
okay or even warranted because he adds that word in constructive. And that, that word constructive is giving the connotation of this is to create that somehow the originality is a creative process. But before it's that creative process, I think it's at that broader term of what I call creation. So the idea of originality is, and I'm going to adapt this a little bit here, the power of independent thought or constructive imagination. I think originality in that definition is the action of applying imagination to the primordial creation. And in that regard, I think we can apply, and this is why I believe imagination to be a principal action of spirituality, is we can apply our imagination to the primordials. In fact, understanding the primordials is a factor of imagination because imagination is a simulation. And by that factor, we're going to step back here and we'll, we'll dive into a little bit of what imagination in, in my personal opinion looks like when we talk about the primordials. So I know I've said it probably one too many times already, but you know, repetition is a mother all skill. And this is the imagination episode. So I get to be imaginative about things. The act or power of forming a mental image. So let's start, stop right there. That's the act of simulation. We're simulating something. And I, I talked about last episode about how, you know, some people think about accountants and I used to work in an accounting office. Uh, you know, accountants aren't imaginative people or, you know, quantitatives or, you know, people in the financial fields, they don't, or, you know, even some science fields, people are just like, oh, they're not imaginative. People are just, you know, that's not true. The truth behind imagination is that it is this factor of, well, it's a factor of simulation. So someone who's very adept at simulating something mentally, or what we consider in the mental health body, is a very imaginative person. So if you can give someone information, specifically maybe about your tax situation, or if you're trying to open a business and you're you know trying to figure out projections, you can just give them some general information and they can all of a sudden put together a whole outlook of what might be going on. Maybe they're making a spreadsheet. That's an imaginative quality. That's a simulation that they're putting together in their mind and then expressing even better. So here, this is why I'm getting into this is to take that out of the mind and then apply it somewhere that others can understand it or that can be expressed through physical form because that's where we do a lot of our communications, not only verbally, but also physically, but conversation at a, a deeper level, the conversation we have from the other health body has to go through the mind. That's the conversation point. So an individual who can selfly express their own ide ideas is someone who's very imaginative, can create a simulation, but then also apply that simulation to the firma, the, 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 the meta, the, the, the reality in which we live in this, this world of materium. So it's almost like they're um, like ether pirates. They can go out into the ether and come up with some simulation and they can bring it and manifest, if you will. Um, this is the process a lot of people use when they talk about manifestations. They talk about using affirmations. They're lining up a simulation over and over and over again, and they're running all these simulations imaginatively as an imagination in their mind, and then bringing that conversation or that that translation into the firmament, into the material world. 
That is a process of imagination. That's why I think imagination is a, at a principal level of spirituality. I, I might be wrong about that. It might only be conceptual, but or conceptual, but it, it's. I think it's it's pretty darn close to principal level. So the act or power of forming a mental image. We just discussed that of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. That's a really important talking point. That part of the definition gives us what we're going to use for the basis when we talk about how does this apply to chaos and creation and order and destruction, all these primordials? Well, it's right there. It's So we're creating a mental image. We're creating a simulation of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. That has a huge factor in our mental health and self-awareness. And I'm going to get to that a little bit after here. I'm going to, we're going to go over, I'm probably going to get lost. I probably already said I've, I'm going to get to this or that. I'll probably get, I'll, I'll probably forget something by the end of this episode. And I apologize, but let's first give us just a quick overview of what imagination looks like when applied to chaos, creation, order, and destruction. But then let's take that and apply it to mental health and self-awareness because that's, you know, really what this podcast has always been about. And that has to do with, we're going to jump all the way back to episode seven. When I talked about reality and how this things like education, belief, language, emotions, relationships, all of those things, our understanding of these things make up our reality. In fact, we're going to expand upon that a little bit and how our understandings of reality are an imagination. They're a simulation. And by taking control of that idea, we can better than control our mental states because that's where this translation is happening. Full, full of just like jump ahead. We imagine ourselves all the time, but here we go. First off, the act of power of forming a mental image, simulation, imagination of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. So let's apply that to our primordials, right? What's that look like with chaos? I always like to start with chaos because I think it's the first primordial. I think it's what came first. I think the the whole creation argument is a, well, that came afterwards. That's the second piece. And we've been lied to a lot about that, but I'll digress for now. Go back and listen to those, the, the episodes 32 to 35 to get my full opinion on that. If we applied this idea of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived as far as chaos goes, that's the realm of infinite possibility. So in fact, we're looking at something that we didn't know was either A, possible or B, had had happened that we never knew about. This would be like... um, I don't know. I mean, it's infinite possibility. So, But on the B part there, this would be like learning something new about a trade or a skill or a function you've been doing your entire life that's just like one of these aha moments that you just like, oh shit, I never... How did I never figure that? How did I never know that was a possibility? That's the application there. That's the imaginative state of chaos, of simulation of chaos, is to rework what is possible and then find new possibilities because it's infinite possibilities, unfathomable possibilities. We often put ourselves in more of a order state. We almost skip over creation and we almost live in today's modern society at least we live a little bit more in the order state of, you know, we, this is what we think is possible and already functioning. And we kind of just limit ourselves inside of that. 
And often, if we just take some time to use an imaginative state, which as a full argument is very much what a lot of meditation systems throughout antiquity have done. Um, altered states of consciousness using, you know, psilocybin or um, even, you know, going all the way back to uh, Grecian culture. And um, I can't think of the place right now uh, where the, the seers were. Um, there was a brew uh, that you could drink and it was a, it was a psychedelic, essentially a very low grade psychedelic, but there's throughout history, there's always been these, these psychedelics or altered consciousness, um, either through like something like mescaline or, you know, a, a, a liquid someone would drink, um, not ambrosia, um, might be actually ambrosia, but ambrosia was the liquid of the gods for immortality. But there's another one that was just these brews that were made. And they were, they were ceremonial by nature. And there's an important key there. And I don't know if I'm going to get into that in this episode. But um, as far as, you know, that goes, that's an opening of oneself to chaos. Um, if we look at just the Greek mythos in as a whole, one I'm a little bit better with is the, the Nordic or the Norse uh, pantheon. That application of imagination to chaos is looking for the option you don't think is possible. But more than that, it's looking for the betterment of oneself through an outlet you didn't know existed. That would be the application there of, of imagination of chaos. It's wanting more for your life or wanting something better, you know, to be, I don't want to give it a specific definition here, but like there's some examples you could throw in here, but I want to kind of leave it top level of just, if you've ever just kind of daydreamed about what your life would be if, you know, this happened or that happened and, you know, the possibilities thereof, that's applying imagination to chaos. That's chaos in imagination, infinite possibility. Imagination in creation the primordial creation is more so function of imagining what structure would do to things. This is often what politics is trying to figure out. They're trying to simulate what, you know, their oligarchical or overlording bullshit gets applied down this create. I want to keep everybody in this constricted creation situation. And that's a negative connotation, but it's, it's a, it's a good example of the application of imagination being laid into creativity. Now on a more better light, the better application of that is someone like a maker, someone like an Adam, Adam Savage or, you know, the furniture builder down the street or, or the, you know, the woodworker in their garage or the, uh, the person making jewelry and selling it on Etsy creation by imagination standard, applying imagination to creation is a gathering of possibilities. That's the imaginative state there. It's okay, we've, we've applied imagination to chaos. We know there's all these infinite possibilities. Once we start sorting that, even the littlest, slightest bit, and we grab onto 
a few of those possibilities. We're now in the imagination of creativity. Now we can create something because we have some structure. We're going to give it some, you know, we're molding the clay here or, you know, we're give it. you know, we got the wood out and we're looking at the piece of wood and we're like, all right, we get the, you know, we get the wood chisel out and we're just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to shave off a piece here. What am I, what am I, you know, that's that little idea of just kind of, all right, we just sort some things and we're going to use this and now we're going to, we're going to create something. We're going to give it a framework. And sometimes that framework comes from simply, I'm going to use a macro cycle to micro cycle here, destroying other possibilities. Just being like, nope, no, nope, no, nope, none of these are possible. I'm not dealing with all this bullshit. Oh, here's what I'm left with. So that's how those cycles work in and out of, you know, the primordials, you know, the macro cycle of chaos creation, order destruction, and then it recycles, or even just in, in the cycle of chaos to creation, we just get rid of some of the possibilities and now we're back into the creation cycle. So imagination applied to creativity or, or creation, not really creativity, but creation to create, to give something structure is simply that it's simply elimination of some of the other possibilities and giving it a structure from there. We order it. And the imagination of order is fantasy. It is all of those things that fill out a story um, specifically in high fantasy. That's where, or even sci-fi. That's another good example. Anytime, World building. I think I'll qualify it as that. The imagination of order is world building. It's filling out all of the different pieces of, you know, if, if, if a reader is to, you know, believe what's going on, there needs to be some structure there. There needs to, you know, we've created a, we've created a framework, but now we got to fill in the framework so that it doesn't just fall apart on us. So in that, um, idea in that example of building out a story, something like sci-fi or high fantasy, the imagination of order is applying or filling out, you know, that idea of like, if let's use high fantasy because I like Dungeons and Dragons and high fantasy. It's a fun time. If you have a dragon, okay, like cool. Like are we created a world with dragons? Awesome. Where do the dragons come from? How do the more dragons get born? Are there a lot of dragons? There's just a few dragons. How powerful are the dragons? Do the dragons interact with people? That's all the ordering. It's just the imagination of filling out all the little structure pieces that the creation gave us to work with. Now we get to fill it all out. You know, we, we created a world with dragons. Awesome. It was an imaginative, you know, we created this imagination of a world with dragons. And then we filled out what that world would look like. That's imagination of order. Imagination of destruction is not blowing shit up. It's not the Michael Baying it. It could be. That's one form of it. But really, it's the full function of. It is the completion of or finality. Imagination of destruction is actually really just the imagination of finality. We often do this when we think about goals or, you know, we think about... Um, Sports games or uh, or seasons, really sports seasons, like, you know, what's the finality of, you know, what's it look like when your sports team goes to the finals or an election happens or, um, 
you know, that, that planned event you have, what's, what's it look like after? And oftentimes we struggle with that. We don't often look at the imagination of finality too much or destruction, the imagination of just applying imagination to the destructive cycle. This is what happens when, you know, someone I've experienced this, you go to like a convention and you get like a convention hangover because you didn't think about, oh, I have to come home from that. Or, or a better example would be someone goes on vacation and you get that like lag when you come home from, I'm not one that goes on vacations, but I've seen people who, you know, you go on vacation, you come back and you didn't think about or imagine what life looked like after the vacation. You just thought it would be this relaxing time. You come home, but instead you were on this vacation. It was great. And now you're back to the daily grind and you, you get that, that lag and it has an effect on your mental state. That's because we really didn't apply the imagination of destruction or, or finality. We didn't apply it to that, knowing that we're going to come back through the cycles. So imagination, the simulation is really important, specifically when we're applying it to the primordials, because it gives us a better understanding of things. And not only that, it gives us a way to control not so much the outcomes of everything, but control the outcomes of ourselves. So we can apply it very easily and very poignantly to our self-awareness. And really this is one of the deepest levels I can think of, of what mental health really looks like when self-awareness is applied. And then we understand depression as, as a tool. In fact, depression is that state in which all of this is happening. Our depressions really, and you know, I've talked about depression before, and to upgrade my outlook on that, to upgrade what I truly believe depression to be is a constant imagination of, of what's happening. It's a simulation. And if you don't necessarily have an understanding of some of the pieces of that imaginative situation, specifically chaos, order, creation, or destruction, any one of those, it can have a detrimental effect. We're going to have a, a positive effect, but we don't have control over it. So someone who, you know, and remember, I'm not a doctor, can't diagnose, prescribe, I don't get into the medical side of things. I've been through some situations in which PTSD has been a, an issue, post-traumatic stress disorder, or just post-traumatic stress, because the disorder denotes a, a, um, a clinical setting. The idea of post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress can be as simple as that vacation hangover that would fall in that realm of things. And, you know, maybe it just goes away and it's not really a big deal, but it could also linger and become a problem because we're not imaginative of, again, the destruction cycle, but we're also not able to look at where our imaginative states may have missed something. They've essentially lost control. They don't have control over that piece of the mental equation, that imagination state. This is commonly referred to in dreaming as nightmares. Post-traumatic stress is a reoccurring nightmare. In my personal opinion, I know I'm stretching just a little bit here, but bear with me. This is the imagination episode after all. So let's imagine it with me, please. Suspend disbelief for a matter of seconds. Um, that idea of post-traumatic stress is really a, a living, we're living in a nightmare. We're living in a situation in which our imagination has only a set amount of functions to deal with what's happening. 
and so our imagination is is corrupted. It's 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 not fully functioning because we can't see a way out. We can't we can't even delve into imagination of chaos, infinite possibility. Maybe there's a possibility in which this doesn't affect us anymore. This is not a problem. And oftentimes this has something to do with control, but we can't have control if it's not created. If we don't have the imagination of how to create that structure of control, it can't exist to us. And thus we can't order it. We can't give it filling. We can't, we can't give it sustenance or, or substance. And in that sense, we're probably not imagining a sense in which that post-traumatic stress destroys or is destroyed, that the imagination of that destruction cycle. So we're living in a living, breathing, material, firmament nightmare. I don't think that's, I mean, yeah, it's, maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think that's wrong. I, I don't, you know, again, we're saying out of the clinical sense of things here, but when it comes to imagination, the simulation, a post-traumatic stress situation is one in which we've lost some control or never had control or are not looking at how we can apply our imagination to chaos, creation, order, or destruction to better understand the simulation that we've now brought into the firmament of life. So it's almost like a negative affirmation. It's almost like a negative simulation that we've now made part of the firmament, part of, you know, our everyday lives. And it's a, strong boon to the idea of actual affirmation and actual, you know, positive thinking and all that stuff. But for some reason, our human minds, our, our consciousness have a, a really good, well, they have a really good ability at, at making the negative more possible than the positive for some reason. And this is often why I'd like to leave another reason why I like to leave connotation out of things because we tend to latch onto, and everyone's a little bit different, but humanity as a whole has this weird thing of drama. Like, drama is a little bit more easy to understand or latch onto than some of the other parts out there. And yes, yeah, some people's comedies, another person's drama, and I get all that. But this is another reason why I believe it was in the Vox episode. I talked about how comedians are one of the best sources for watching someone detailing their depression to someone else. That's comedians are really trying to give you a, a window into their depression, how their mind works, how they're seeing the world around them. So imagination is like us trying to be comedians to ourselves in a way. We're trying, by using our imagination, we're really trying to give ourselves an understanding of what the fuck is going on in our depression, in our own minds. And it's one of the first things we tend to shut down overall. We almost do it to ourselves as a society. You know, we don't teach kids to be imaginative. We teach them to be realistic and we teach them to be, and that's fine. I'm really honestly not against you know, being rational and reasonable and having ration and reason and logic. Those are all great things. They make society function as all, as what society or civilization is. And without it, we wouldn't have things like two other words I'm about to get into, but those are invention, uh, which is a synonym of imagination. 
we kind of shut that down. We'd rather someone be more logical or reasonable or not even that. We'd rather someone just be a, a fucking dictionary. Well, not even a dictionary, just like, um, I don't know, a spreadsheet for facts. Just memorize this shit, memorize these facts and spit them out. When someone asks you that question, we don't make the distinction between imagination as the simulation, in which we use to understand our depression and imagination as far as it goes to writing a story or, you know, believing in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus and all that other stuff. Squashing that is a problem and it's a fine line. You know, you gotta be careful about teaching someone like what is fantastical fantasy and reality. Thank you, queen, by the way, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, Hope somebody got that joke uh, or that reference. That use of imagination is important. But we also need to understand that imagination can be logical, reasonable. Like it is this simulation. It, it, and so we shouldn't squash it. We shouldn't, you know, teach the children to be less imaginative. We should teach them how to use it. No one's ever done that. I can almost guarantee no one's taught you how to use your imagination. Maybe you are a creative and you've, you know, sat down with, you know, another artist or an art teacher or someone along the, or a creative teacher. And maybe they've, you know, maybe they've helped you in some way, or maybe you've been through a critical thinking class and, you know, picked up some of these things, but no one's specifically probably sat you down and taught you how to be imaginative. You're imaginative. What's your imagination? Because that's a function of depression. It's a function of how your consciousness works. What are you good at imagining? What are you good at predicting? That's a function of imagination. It's a simulation. What are you good at looking at and coming up with an outcome from? What are you good at looking at and coming up with a different angle to attack? Or, you know, it almost makes up some of the things that we're really good at. I can typically imagine how these episodes go when I'm talking, you know, when I'm coming up with a podcast episode, I can typically imagine where I'm going to go with it. Or I'm also really good at imagining in the moment. It's probably what makes me a, a pretty decent public speaker. The few times, well, not few, but the, you know, the times I've done public speaking, I'm really good at imagining what, what function I'm going to get out of the crowd, what, what response I'm going to get out of them. And, you know, then steering the talk in the direction in which I'm trying to put those things together. I also do this when I'm teaching, when I'm trying to teach one-on-one -on -one with someone, I did it when I taught martial arts specifically, I can imagine what's going to make the most sense to them. Those are functions of imagination, simulation, we often skip over that and just be like, oh, that's what makes a good teacher or, you know, understanding how someone else, you know, grasped information makes a good teacher. That's a fucking function of imagination. That teacher is imagining, okay, this person has this background. They seem to really get audible cues, but they also have this tactile response that, you know, if, if I, you know, if I, I, I show them, you know, something, I give them something physical to work with, they seem to pick it up a little bit quicker. They imagine then with those details and ideas, what might work best for that person? So going back to my statement, I don't think anyone's ever really sat you down and taught you about your imagination. 
taught you how you think, how you function or reason or, you know, how you use your depression, I believe, is imagination. That's why I think it's principle to the idea of mental health and self-awareness. So as I said, let's go back and apply it to some of the things I talked about, specifically the idea of reality. And that was all the way back in episode seven. And I talked about how your education, your beliefs, the relationships you surround yourself, the emotional states you find yourself in, all of these things build upon and create your reality. Well, in antiquity and in the world of metaphysics and the world of spiritualities, defined spirituality, specifically in the idea of religions and those organized structures. And again, I'm against, I'm against organized religions, but I am all about faith and belief in those places or I'm sorry, in those uh, functions, we build a reality and this thing we call reality. That's an imagination. We imagine those things. And it's very easy to imagine something, give it connotation, that's completely not necessarily wrong or right, but different than what's actually happening. This is the argument between Democrats and Republicans and liberals and progressives. And they all are imagining they're hearing this and then they're translating it in their depression and then vomiting out whatever other function they want to believe in. That's an imaginative process. That is in taking information through your depression, your mental state, and then calculating it to be one thing or the other. That's a wholly imaginative system. You're just imagining it. In fact, you are imagining the world around you, the materium at least, all day, every day. That's the taking in of sensory apparatus and making up an image and a world you live in. You're imagining it. Your ocular function is taking in this sense of light that it does, this frequency known as light or lights, a visual spectrum of frequency of you live in an electric universe, but you're taking that in and you're giving yourself visual perspective. And then, you know, you touch things and you go, Oh, this is hard or that is soft. You give something textural data and you, you make up a, a mental image of it. This is why you can close your eyes and feel something and guess what it might be. You might be wrong, but you are able to do that. It's all imaginative. So if it's all imaginative in the physical material body, then the same must be true for the spiritual other body. The function happens in the mind. This is what I know to be, you know, this is what I call or, or know to be depression, not the clinical sense, but the idea of what depression truly is, is a function of how you imagine the world around you and then interact with those imaginations and then create new imaginations And this is why lost in translation in all of what I consider to be the, the, the realm of Tibetan Buddhism, the action of being in an empty state is to stop fucking imagining. 
an experience. That's, you know, when they say live in the moment, right? When that conversation comes up, it's a poor translation for stop imagining, start experiencing. That is a, a, a skilled action. It's not to mean that that's like the correct thing, you know, to be empty all the time. Even the idea of being stoic, which outside of this podcast, I, I quite readily am stoic. My facial expressions don't really change a lot. I don't have emotional responses to the thing. That's because I'm really good at imagining things. I can imagine the outcomes of a conversation. I can imagine the outcomes of a social gathering. I can imagine the outcomes of the traffic patterns. I can imagine the outcomes of the, I don't know, shopping cart in the, you know, rolling down the, I'm really good at predicting almost the outcomes of situations because my imagination is running wild all the fucking time. It has been since I was a little kid. I used to stare out the window you know, I was riding in a passenger as a car. I'd stare at the window and I'd look at the uh, the embankment, the, the side of the road, and I'd imagine. You know, I was a little fat kid, so I never, did, I totally knew this was never going to happen. But you know, there, there was like a, a snowboarder or a, or a, um, a skateboarder, and you know the I'd imagine the the arc of their path, and you know they jump from like you know one thing, or you know you have like an embankment where like the road there's a road. And there's like a little embankment, so it has like a lip. You know, you could jump over that. And this is all calculation and simulation of geometry and speed and presence. And But these were all imaginative functions. I was imagining a little person like doing flips and tricks and, you know, all that stuff. I was just passing the time doing that on car rides. That action of imagination is the simulation of all the things around us. And so... I became, I practiced that a lot. So I became really good at it, but I'm also very stoic in the sense that, or sorry, in my stoicism, that's not being shown to the outside world. So people consider someone to be stoic, but I find most stoics are just super fucking imaginative and then just don't react material wise in the material, their physical body don't, doesn't react. But their mental, that depression, that mental factor, that consciousness is turning gears constantly. Just gear, gears, turn and 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 turn. They're just not showing a, a physical outward expression, be it emotional or, you know, in, in action. And that's the point of stoicism or is a factor of stoicism. They just don't show all that. It's not to say that that imagination isn't cranking because it probably is. In fact, that's why they're able to be so stoic It's because they already, out, they already predict the outcome. So they don't have to react to it. In fact, they can simulate the non-action. This is what happens when someone's very confident. Someone who has a lot of confidence and wants to put on an air of, I don't know, not bravado, but like just very confident air can simulate the process and simulate the possibility. Imagine it. And then once it comes true, they can just act like nothing happened. You just walk away that, you know, that movie scene where someone thing blows up and the, the head, the protagonist is just slowly walking away as the explosion happens in the background. It's just an imaginative function of going, okay, there's some shit that's going to explode behind me, but I'm not going to react because I want to look cool. And then you just react and look cool. That's imaginative function. 
So stoicism in that sense is just someone who's extremely imaginative and can imagine the outcomes, but then not actual have that reaction come outward. Other people might be able to do the opposite. And in some cases I've also practiced this and weird tangent, just because I haven't talked about myself in the podcast in a while. And I like to do that just to give you a better understanding of where I'm coming from. All of my interactions socially are typically imaginative. I have to imagine what the outcome should be because I didn't have a lot of social interactions when I was a kid and I'm not a big fan of social interaction, but a lot of my, a lot of the things I learned about how to be social came from movies and, 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 and video games and entertainment sources really, because I didn't have positive interactions with my family unit. In fact, most of my interactions with my family unit were either just fucking abysmal or they didn't exist. I just was left on my own a lot. I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. So I had to use entertainment sources to simulate what the reaction is. And oftentimes I give the reaction. I believe the person is imagining me or wants to see in some cases because I can imagine it and I can simulate it and then I can give it, which makes me really good at social interaction when I want to be. And it also doesn't make me the most honest person in the world because I'm usually trying to be like, and laugh. And then I'm like, ah, that's, that's really funny. Oh, that's awesome. I don't believe that whatsoever. It wasn't really funny to me, but like the social cue was there. So in that sense, there's this idea of imagination. So you might have someone who's opposite of stoic. They're a very expressive person and they can imagine the function they expect it's going to be seen. And these people can become very bolsterous and they're, they're very fun to be around. Extroverts are pretty good at, you know, being that way. So imagination is used across the board in all of these different functions. But at the same time, it's making up our reality. We are imagining the reality in which we live in. And that's the common, that's the common thing talked about in, you know, how we live in reality is not real and we live in this simulation and it's all, you know, a dream and all that. That's because we live in the imaginative world in which we build. And this is why I say no one can understand your depression to delve just, you know, peel back the onion a little bit more to get in more into that statement that I've made many, many times. No one can understand your depression. I can't understand your depression. It's impossible. So much so that I say the act of unconditional love is trying to understand someone's depression, knowing you will inevitably fail. It's not to say we shouldn't try. I've made that statement before. But to delve a little deeper into that statement, your depression is your imagination. Your imagination is a part of it. It's a principal idea of it. And thus, the world in which you're living in is your creation. It's your understanding of chaos. You get to imagine the order in which will be applied to it, but also when and where the destructive episodes can occur. Get rid of all the connotation in that statement, in that whole sentence there. Get rid of the connotation. Because either one can go either side. The idea of contentness is someone who's very in control of that imaginative state. I strive to be content, which means I'm 
striving to have a, a understanding of, of my reality that I both imagine and also react to in a very just not blase, but just very baseline interaction. Yeah, sure. I want things and you know, I would love to be super fucking popular with my massage practice and, you know, be famous for being like, you know, Oh, it's just crazy. Great. You know, massage person. It would be awesome if this podcast blew up and I helped a bunch of people understand their lives. I could imagine all that. I really can. I, I could fully functionally imagine all that. And years ago, I might have said, like, oh, I couldn't even believe, you know. I like to be humble, but, like, I used to use a bravado of depression to be like, oh, I can't imagine that ever being possible. I was choosing to do that. It was a choice. Remember how I talked about choice and change all the way back after the reality episode and how that creates perspective. And blah, blah. Anyway. The idea that depression is the function of, or your imagination is a principal function of your depression. That's working inside of that whole thing that all of these different methodologies for understanding how the mind works have talked about. Zen Buddhism, Chan Buddhism, uh, just, you know, even, even modern day stuff about, you know, um, transcendental meditations and, you know, uh, mindfulness. It's a control of the imagination because the imagination is what makes up how we, no, that's not the way to say that. Remember I'm on the bleeding edge of my book here. I'm making some of this stuff off as I go. Imagination is the way in which we apply the firmament of reality to the materium. We make it up just like I'm making it up as I go. Sometimes we make it up as we go, but our functions of imagination are what give us the toolbox or are the toolbox for what that looks like. Actually, what reality we live in. It took me a really long time for that imagination to click over from fuck man. I got to hustle all the time. I'm tired shit's just bad. I just uh, I fucking hate where I live. Just all of this negative connotation stuff to, Oh shit. Like I have my own home. I have a, a well-paying job. I get by really well. You know, I can eat what I want when I want to. I don't have to worry about meals. That, you know, I used to have to worry about like, where's my, ne where's my next meal going to come from? You know, I have a, a roof over my head. I used to have to, you know, imagine that, you know, life used to kind of be like shitty and it took me a while to click over from life's just going to be shitty to, Hey, life's not bad. This is going pretty well. Okay. This is, this isn't going terrible. I've definitely upgraded a bit. I've definitely got to a more comfortable content state. I'm not suicidal anymore. Okay. But it, that didn't happen overnight. Like it took a while for those imaginative functions, those simulations to actually be applied to the reality, quote unquote, that I was living inside of. Even six months ago, this conversation probably would have had more of like a, a darker connotation or, 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 or macabre, more, you know, that type of spin to it. Because 
I wasn't quite imagining that. Oh, hey, yeah, no, this isn't this isn't that bad. Honestly, this is, this is going pretty well. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that state where things may have gotten better, yet you haven't imagined the fact that they're better yet. So you're still living in the reality of things fucking suck, which is a dangerous place to be because it will just suck you back into then creating that reality. And this is why I think imagination is super important and understanding it is a massive key to applying self-awareness to mental health. Now, that was stepping back into the mental health and self-awareness part. What I'd like to finish up though with is this whole imagination as a function of applying the other spiritual health body to the firmament, to the physical health body, but the, the conversation and the translation that happens in between, because I'm, I'm slowly coming to grips with the idea that understanding our spirituality or understanding that other part of us is really important for understanding what's happening with our, our conversation between our physical form and our mental form, but more so what our mental health is doing, what our mental health body is actually trying to like accomplish or, or figure out on a regular basis, because that translation is our depression, right? That's where our imagination's happening. That's our understanding of our reality. And just like I can't understand how you imagine the way someone explains a story to you, I can't understand your depression. So like if someone both, if someone told both of us, you walk into a sunlit room with windows all around and peach colored walls. And there was this beautiful mahogany table in the center of the room. And there's a vase full of beautiful flowers we would imagine that very differently. And I can't even fathom how you might imagine that. That's why I can't understand your depression and you really can't understand mine. And that's okay because we do have the function that we both imagined what was going on in that, in that situation. We both imagined some picture of peach colored walls of sunlight coming in through windows and a mahogany table. With a, and we both pictured some sort of flower arrangement in a vase on top of this mahogany table. But this mahogany table could look vastly different to the both of us. You might have imagined a tiny little, like, you know, mini table that just was there to hold up a vase. Someone else might, or I might have even imagined a, like a big dining room table that just had like a vase on it. it all of these different possibilities exist. That's, that's chaos, that's infinite possibility. And thus chaos is this spiritual process of infinite possibility, the spiritual situation. And we have to translate that, right? We have to take an infinite possibility and then make it into what we know or don't know. And that's where we're going to jump back to the definition here. Hi, you didn't think I was going to do it. Jumping back to the definition of imagination, the act or power of forming a mental image. We've talked a lot about that already of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. That part right there is the act of understanding our spiritual other bodies. We just don't spend a lot of time doing it. And 
at some point in our history, we might have. I definitely think before organized religion came onto the scene, there was a lot of this. There was a lot of trying to understand why the fuck is the hair on my back standing up because there's a predator nearby? Where does that sense come from? There was a lot of, you know, trying to understand the feeling of like the goosebumps or the, the erector pili muscles contracting as, you know, we were talking about something that was very important or we were predicting the future or the feeling of divination of, you know, getting out the water rods and divining where doing water dousing, figuring out where the underground waterways were, or even just trying to figure out the subtle energy forces of the world. Something like uh, Dr. Ibrahim Karim's work in biogeometry of understanding these force ley lines that create subtle energy forces that literally changed the landscape from, you know, hedgerows of beautiful, full fruit trees to just twisted, you know, almost quote unquote, ugly looking bare trees and bushes that make up the hedgerow and the effects of what that looks like to the agriculture or to the, um, animal husbandry of the area, you know, what that looks like in the fact of sickness and disease. Uh, a wonderful book by Dr. Ibrahim Kareem is uh, Back to the Future for Mankind. I think I might have mentioned this once before in the podcast. It talks about how these subtle forces change not only the landscape, but human society as a whole. In fact, if you look at where most of the major and this is where I believe organized religion started to corrupt some things um, to, to, they started to hoard shit, not just knowledge. They actually tried hoarding and have hoarded physical places on this planet that are beneficial to humans. If you look at the crossing of the ley lines and ley lines have a, a multifaceted terminology here. When we talk about magic, or the process of magic, sorcery, wizard, uh, wizardry, divination, witchcraft, um, even in the pagan communities talking about ley lines or, or, or sources of power, they typically interact with underground water sources. And where two underground water sources connect, we get places of power. Specifically, if they connect um, in a cross, if they, they literally at 90 degree angles cross over each other, uh, either above or below or in conjunction with, we get a place of power. That is then even more amplified if we get another set of perpendicular crosses. So think about a, a star form. This crossing of underground water lines are what we can map the ley lines of power to, and then we can add in other grid systems and other different functions, and it gets... It gets very complicated, and you can even do it with the celestial bodies. But um, Dr. Ibrahim Kareem goes all goes over all this, and in fact, uh, biogeometry is the practice of all of this through the methods of radiostasia and a bunch of other things. But in the imaginative sense here, in the imaginative function here, we can understand that there are these things known as subtle energies, and the ways in which subtle energies move is important. So much so that almost every place of worship was built on one of these things. And the 
burning and destruction of churches and then the replacement thereof, or I'm sorry, the burning and destruction of holy sites and then replacement with organized religion worship sites was very, very calculated. Almost every altar is placed on one of these sites. If you go to any major cathedral, any major mosque, any major any major place of religious practice and worship, it's built on top of a ley line site. It's built on top of a crossing of underground waterways or a specific crossing of celestial bodies in relation to to create these places of power. And it was done calculatively. Most pagan sites, pagan worship sites, were built on these as well. But they were open to the communities. And this is why, look, I'm not completely on board with paganism. Again, I don't like any organized religion, anything. But the faith and belief structures that were there in place are very important because that is a function of imagination. And these places gave fruition or strength to that factor of imagination. This is why the Greeks had, damn, I wish I could remember what it's called. They had this specific drink and ceremony, ceremony function that was a mind alternating, altering state, but it was at a specific location of a place of power. And you could only go there and you could only use that, um, concoction at that place in a spiritual nature. And no, it wasn't open to everyone. And this is where we start to see the first grasp of control to that. Many quote unquote, great thinkers in antiquity went to these places of power, went to these places of mind altering resonance, specifically through some sort of mind altering drug or concoction and had prophetic or amazing something experiences. Um, even in something like, you know, the native American tribes and their shamanism, we can see places of power, holy sites. They didn't, quite build them up as much as others, but they definitely existed and they definitely knew about them and they definitely used them. And it's very, actually, it's easy to even see it in the landscape. Uh, Dr. Ibrahim Kareem gets into this and I was going over it with that hedgerow analogy of, you know, you could see like beautiful fruit trees or just, you know, beautiful flowering bushes compared to like twisted trees. There is a, way in which the energy forces could be detrimental to organic life that also exists. And there are things that can happen to change and maneuver landscapes into that being a thing. So the idea of that control is in some way the beginning of the destruction of imagination. And it's why I think we need to be very, very careful about 
what we allow into our imagination and what we allow to kind of control or twist or coerce it. Because that imagination eventually gives function to the reality in which we live in. And if you don't have control over it, you really don't have control over yourself. I know I kind of went wishy-washy all over the place with that one, but there are these actual real functions in the world you can go look at that have to do with these places of power or these places of, you know, quote unquote divinity in some cases are known as that. And the translations from ancient history are pretty shitty to be completely honest. And even that function alone has been coerced. There are a certain amount of individuals who are really good at translations in the world. And they're typically only able to be um, contracted by the rich and powerful organizations or, you know, specific types of organizations to get proper translations. So we just have a lot of lost history. And in fact, history is only ever written by the winner. History is never written by the loser because they're fucking dead or ousted or quote unquote called untrue. They're a liar. You know, this is why cancel culture is super fucking just super fucking bad. Cancel culture doesn't allow for anything other than the quote unquote immutable reasoning of one group of people and thus make them the writers of history. And every time that's ever happened, we've lost a piece of amazing culture or humanity. If you can't understand that everyone's depression is completely different and the way in which people see the world is different, I don't know if I can get through to you. So hopefully you're not one of those people because if you've gotten this far and you still have that belief structure, clearly you're only listening to this so I can piss you off because I'm telling you, you need to look at some shit because that's just not how it works. So cancel culture, wokeism, all of that shit. I'm here to tell you that that doesn't work. It, your, your, your imagination has been corrupted into only believing the picture in which they're giving to you. And so much so that your imagination has been stolen from you. You can no longer imagine a world or a methodology outside of the framework they've given you. Thus, you only work in two parts of the cycle. You really only work in one part of the cycle, and that's the idea of order. They have ordered you. Say that one more time. They have ordered you to only believe what they believe. Antidote. They, only, they have ordered you to only believe what they want you to believe. This is why the differentiation of faith and belief outside of organized religion is super fucking important because no one has it right. I guarantee you right now, if I can make any one true statement that thousands of years from now, people could look back being like that, that dude fucking got it right. Is this no one knows the true history of humanity. No one alive today knows the true history of humanity and, or is sharing it and or can tell you truly what to believe in. They just can't. They can't. And that all falls in the world of imagination. 
Because imagination is where we we build ourselves and the world in which we live in before it actually becomes the world in which we live in. Humanity requires imagination to exist. We don't live without invention. And that's why I kind of saved this to the end. Invention is one of the synonyms of imagination. And invention is defined by something invented, but productive imagination. It's one of the definitions for invention. It's productive imagination. In fact, the definition for inventing is to produce for the first time through the use of the imagination or of ingenious thinking an experiment. I'll say that again. Inventing, the definition, is to produce for the first time through the use of the imagination or of ingenious thinking an experiment. That's super fucking important. Without it, we wouldn't exist. So why, oh why, oh why would you ever let someone control your imagination? Stop. Please stop right now. Don't let me do it. Don't let your parents do it. Don't let your religious leaders do it. Don't let anyone control your imagination. Control the way in which you experience, see, and predict the world around you. You're the only one that gets to do that. That's why your depression is your depression. That's why you are a sovereign individual. Because any imagination of a God or entity in which you live for or rules your life is yours. Any imagination of the methodologies in which society should exist, act, and do are yours. And yes, we can come together and we can agree upon different things, which is what society and civilization is. It's what humanity really is, because we are not a collective consciousness. We are an individual consciousness that has collective abilities. Dun, dun, dun. That's foreshadowing into what I might get into with what spirituality actually looks like. I believe spirituality in this case, uh, as I'm moving on, as I'm studying it further, I'll just, I'll give you some, I, I, I know I've been kind of dragging on with this ending here, but this is why I'm excited about it because this is where my imagination is taking me. My imagination is taking me on this, this trip through the idea of what spirituality can truly be. And that has to do with the functions of our great storytellers. Religions are amazing storytellers. They've told us amazing, fantastical stories. And some of us have believed them. So much so that we believe them to the fact that we believe they're the only ones to get to tell that story. This means that spirituality is a collective idea. That, in fact, we can't be humans without it. We can't be our own selves without some sort of understanding of the other, of the spiritual. So we need to have this spiritual health body. At first, for the longest time, I was always like, fuck this. Why can't I just be mind and body? 
Well, we can't. It's actually a function of humanity because without that other, without that spiritual, without that imagination, I can't interact with you because I can't understand anything about you. But we have all of this vast, vast resources of, of history and, and, and anecdotal evidence and all of these other human interactions and other non-human interactions with pets and animals and trees and nature and numbers and all of these things that are all imaginative. That's one of the truest pieces of spirituality is that I can imagine you and I getting along. I can imagine you and I understanding that we don't need to be anywhere near each other nor talk to each other or do anything. We don't need to interact. But I can imagine all of this. I can imagine the idea that there was this story of creation and it has these denotations that give it a specific name and function and thus has in fact created its own idea or understanding or entity, if you will. And that if that understanding of an entity gives one a function for their imagination to take hold, flourish, develop, and invent, remember inventing is to produce for the first time through the use of the imagination or of ingenious thinking and experiment. And that experiment leads to amazing, beautiful things that are prosperous for everyone or at least at the very, very least don't hurt anyone, then it's great. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that story needs to be the right one or true one. This is to say why I don't believe in organized religion because they believe themselves to be the only ones that are right. And that's not a true function of imagination because imagination tells us everyone's right. Everyone's right. It doesn't mean their actions are right. Imagination and action are two different things. In fact, action is defined through our imagination. This is what court proceeding is all about. You're trying to get the imagination of the jury to believe your actions were correct. It's the idea of persuasion. So again, I will tell you, do not let anyone control your imagination. Do not just throw your imagination to the side and never practice it. Don't, don't allow someone to tell you your imagination is wrong. Your actions may have been wrong. But your imagination's never wrong. It has no connotation. That's part of spirituality. There can be no connotation here. So please go imagine some things. Read a fantastical book and imagine what's going on with the characters. Or read a fiction. I'm sorry. Read a nonfiction telling of some crazy, you know, 
you know, I don't know, documentary story of something or watch a documentary of story of something and imagine all of the things that are going on with that. It's a simulation. Imagination is, is, is ever present. That's really what all the ancient textbooks have been telling us. From the Bible to the Quran, to all of these things are imaginative functions. They're persuasive essays. In fact, everything that comes out of your mouth to someone else, every conversation, be it written, verbal, or non, is a persuasion from one imagination to the other or to multiple at the same time. Because the imagination is the function of how our depression works. It's the translation. I finally, that's what I finally figured out. I finally figured out this entire time. I'm like, how does the spiritual talk to the physical? How does the physical talk to the spiritual? It's imagination. That's the function. And when I was looking at intuition and instinct and insight and how those, what I believe to be spiritual senses can give a physical response, it's because of imagination. We can imagine it. But we got to stop thinking of imagination as this like tooth fairy and fantasy and it's not real. It's fucking real. Imagination's fucking real. We use it all the time, every day. Yes, it can be fantastical. But it's a thing and we use it. And what's the, what's my famous saying? We're one of my famous things. Repetition is the mother of all skill. We got to use it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to get a handle on it. Because once you do that, here's the next step. Once, in my personal opinion, you don't have to believe anything I say. Once you can get a handle on your imagination, you can start to see how it's being used. Which is a function of self-awareness. Because now, now you know the translation. Now you got the dictionary. You got the thesaurus. You got, you got it all. You got, you know, you got all the reference material you need. I mean, you have a lot of the reference material or sources to figure out that translation, to know what's happening between the physical form and the other form and the physical form and the mind or the, the mental form and the mental form and the other form and the other form and the mental form. You know all the translations because that's what depression is. It's all of those translations happening constantly. And when we lose control of it, sometimes it's just because we don't have the source material. This is why they use the word source in all of the different, you know, connotations of what source can be from entity to carrier wave, whatever you want to call it, but all, of, you know, organized religions and, and, and understandings of, and again, this is just my opinion, but that word source is important. Because you can have resources but that idea of source, where something comes from. Maybe I'll get into sources another time. But that's an imaginative quality function because the imagination is what we do with that source. It's the translation that comes from that. So you can either believe in someone else's understanding of that or you can create your own. And they can be the same. That's okay. Christians, Muslims, Judaism, Jainism. I don't care. I really don't care <laughs> what your definition of all that is because it's yours. I'm just here to say it's yours and you got to come up with it for yourself. It can be atheism. It can be agnosticism. It can be paganism. It can be Wiccan. I, 
I don't care what it is. Because it's yours. It's not fucking mine. It's yours. And I'm still working on mine. I'm still trying to understand what the spirituality thing is. How some people can divine things. How some people can kind of predict the future. Or how some people can just look into someone and understand them and help them and, and give them you know support in those ways. How an empath might work. How a, a, a sympath might work. How a... How a uh, a seer sees how, you know, how all of these amazing functions humanity has been working with our entire existence and probably even had more access to in the, in the past than we do now, how all of that transpires. I believe it has a massive thing to do with imagination. So go be imaginative. And, um, I'll come up with another episode to kind of hopefully make all this make more sense and just continue to dive down this, this spiritual exploration of what that, what's all, what it's all about. That's really all I got for you on this one. Um, one kind of big call to action, if you will, if you want to support the podcast, um, one of the things you can do is head over to purebulk.com. I'm an affiliate of theirs. They're an amazing company. They, uh, they do bulk supplements and also they just do supplementation. I'm a big fan of supplements specifically when it comes to the health body and, you know, getting control of your own health. I think everyone should have some sort of supplement regimen. They are researching, researching or actively using some sort of supplement stack. Uh, and pure bulk is a great place to source all that from. You can use the Coupon code taming hindrances, all one word, T-A-M-I-N-G-H-I-N-D-R-A-N-C-E-S for a 10% off. Uh, I make a small commission on any sales you use with that coupon code, but there's no extra charge for you. You actually just get their 10% off. So again, head over to purebulk.com and use taming hindrances for a 10% off code. That will definitely support the podcast. I totally will appreciate that. Also, please check out the website. Um, it just helps with rankings and I try to update the archive over there uh, as much as possible. And really the biggest ask I can make of you is if you know someone that all of this might help to please share the podcast with them um, or to even just reach out to me through the contact submission form on the website, tamminghindrances.com and send me questions or, you know, stuff like that. I'm totally down for, I do deep dives on YouTube. Check, you can check out the YouTube channel. Um, I'm totally down for doing a deep dive on a topic that you might be interested in or, you know, you, you think might help some other people. I'm all about that stuff. So again, you know, check out the website, head over to purebulk.com and use the Taming Hendrix's code to support the channel. And I will continue to uh, do this either way though. So, you know, if you don't do it, no big deal. Hopefully it helps you in some way. I will see you on the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.